Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. You have with you Brian and Jeff, your hosts. And Jeff, today I guess we're going to be trying to get to know God a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. And as we kind of dig into this, there's a whole lot to cover uh, because there's a lot of different dimensions, which which I know you're going to kind of comment on as you uh, continue the introduction today. Yeah, that's what's really great about the Bible is, you know, when you think about all of us wondering who God is, and certainly if you have children or maybe you can remember back uh, as a listener when you were young, uh, surely you thought, who is God? What is he like? I keep hearing about God. And, and fortunately, um, there is so much in the Bible where God reveals himself to us. And so that's really what we want to dig into today. You know, we want to learn about him. We certainly, if we are parents or grandparents, you know, want to teach our children or grandchildren about him just so that they fully understand who God is, because certainly there are a lot of misconceptions out there. And so to start off, I'd like us to take a look at Psalm 100. And I, I love the Psalms because not only is, you know, are there many Psalms where God is praised and, and rightfully so, but also a lot of his nature and character is revealed through these Psalms. So Psalm 100 says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. And so that's just one example of, of you know who God is and, and what the scriptures have to say about him. Uh, another thought over in Psalm 97 verse, or excuse me, 95, Psalm 95 verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today, if you will hear his voice. And so we not only find out, you know, of course, who God is and, and that we are in essence his sheep, but that we have a choice to listen to his voice. God's not forcing us to listen to him. We have a choice. And so before we get started, just want to mention quickly, as, as we go through this podcast, one of the things, uh, in addition to, you know, revealing who God is according to the scriptures, is I think you'll also find that we're going to be able to clear up some misconceptions about God. So, for instance, some people say, well, God is very harsh. Uh, he was very severe under the old law, which in our Bibles, you know, is the Old Testament. And yet, you know, hey, under the New Testament, you'll see he is now a loving God. Well, God's nature doesn't change. It's the same. And so we'll get into some of that. And then, or, or some feel, you know, God is, is loving and will not punish. So kind of the other extreme, you know, he doesn't want any to be lost. So he's going to save everyone through his grace. Well, that's not true either. And so we'll be able to once again, see as we go through this, what the truth is about God. So Jeff, before I turn it over to you, I just want to encourage our listeners, if you're in a place where you can take notes, maybe you can just pause this episode and, and go grab a notepad because we're going to give you a lot of passages. And for the sake of time, we will not necessarily have time to read them all, but really want you to take some notes, look at some of the passages that may involve longer readings that we just ask you to look at. 
and I think what you're going to find is just an amazing amount of information about God. So anyhow, with that, Jeff, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Thank you, sir. So we want to kind of start off with the nature of God. And immediately we're going to encounter an interesting sort of contradiction, if I could use that. On the one hand, yes, there are a whole lot of scriptures that talk about God and his nature. And yet at the same time, it's kind of challenging for us as finite, you know, limited humans, perhaps to understand all of these things or reconcile them with our experiences. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll need to kind of keep that in mind as we kind of go through this portion of our study uh, and try to at least understand what the Bible says in terms of his nature and recognize some that we just may not really fully understand, <laughs> given our limitations. So, with that as sort of a caveat, let's just launch out. Uh, eternal, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, the eternal God is your refuge. You know, eternal slash everlasting has always existed. Uh, number two, he is a spirit in terms of his essential nature. In John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, Ephesians 4, 6 in many ways, he is portrayed as our Father, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Uh, uh, one of the more difficult concepts to uh, perhaps understand, uh, his being omnipotent or all-powerful. Uh, Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. In fact, the very first opening phrase of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. I know modern man has, uh, you know, often you know trouble with that, and you know wants to rely on you know evolution theory, Big Bang, etc. But at least from a scriptural perspective, a being that's able to create the entire universe and countless galaxies and stars, and our planet, etc. Uh, continuing on with that uh, theme of omnipotence, uh, Genesis eighteen verse fourteen is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, Job, in fact, several chapters, uh, chapters 38 and 39, wonderful illustration of God's great power, uh, as he himself <laughs> describes it. Uh, considering uh, also uh, New Testament, Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning verse 18, uh, talks about the power, his eternal power and Godhead being manifested to humanity uh, through the creation of the world. His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, created by him. Again, his eternal power and Godhead. Uh, that passage also goes on, interestingly enough, to say, you know, for those who don't recognize those attributes, that people can easily become futile, start worshiping various misconceptions of God, uh, and ultimately start worshiping themselves and serving the creature rather than the creator. Uh, that's verse 25. Uh, continuing on, now switching perhaps away from omnipotence, all power, to omniscience, as in all-knowing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. For there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Uh, Job chapter 34, verse 21, for his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all of his steps. Psalms 33, 13 and 14, uh, the Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. 
uh, Psalms uh, 139, uh, uh, the first four verses. Um, tell you what, Brian, since I've been kind of talking a little bit, why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, uh, reading that for our audience. Uh, sure, here it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path in my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Yeah, that last little phrase, Brian, is, is even more insightful. That not only does God know what we do, and that, you know, for instance, we can't hide, what, you know, the evil that we do. We can't, you know, hide under the cover of darkness, you know, at nighttime like many criminals do. But he also knows what we think, which is, which is even more, you know, all-knowing, uh, so to speak, uh, insightful, uh, that we can't even get away with evil thoughts. Uh, but even more than that, there's a sense of encouragement that he knows about each of us. He knows what we do. He knows what we think. He knows what our needs are. And as we'll see later on, uh, you know, he knows all that from a, you know, wanting to do good for us and to us perspective. So we've got omnipotence, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. Uh, the last of the three omnis, if you will, uh, sometimes expressed as, as a three, uh, omnipresent, uh, all-present, exists everywhere. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24, can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? Says the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? Says the Lord. Or continuing on, actually, Brian, if you want to pick up the uh, more verses uh, from Psalms 139, starting with verse 7 through roughly verse 10. Here it says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Right. And so from this, we see, you know, a couple kind of basic things that, you know, this you know, God that we're you know talking about, it's not a he's not a regional God. Uh, like we see in some of the uh, Old Testament accounts where each nation had their own, you know, local God. Uh, and, you know, this was a God of the mountains or the God of the valley or the God of the river, etc. Not, not a regional God. And likewise, like Jonah learned in the first chapter of Jonah, you know, he's not a God that you can flee away from <laughs> physically like Jonah tried to do. You know, got on a ship traveling in the opposite direction of what God, uh, that what God wanted him to do. So we got the three omnis. How about being immutable or changeless? Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. Or in the New Testament, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Uh, and I guess perhaps part of that aspect of being changeless is he can't lie, meaning he can't tell you one thing now and you know change his mind and tell you a different thing later, or lie now and come back later and tell the truth. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, talks about in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies... Almost before the ages began. Uh, Brian, how about Numbers chapter 23, verse 19? 
uh, here it says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Exactly. And, you know, similar message from uh, New Testament, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, a couple quick side comments. You know, why is this part of God's nature important? Well, it's it gives us confidence that he's a kind of creature, an entity, if you will, that we can trust in, have confidence in. Um, he says what he means, means what he says. You know, he may, if he makes you know certain promises, we know he'll keep them. Uh, if they're unconditional, you know, if they're conditional, we know he'll he'll uphold his part as long as we uphold our part. Um, certainly that his laws may change, but fundamentally he himself uh, does not. Uh, and perhaps one of the, uh, the, the more beautiful aspects of God's nature, as we kind of wrap up this particular section, is that God's fundamental nature is one of love. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love, in terms of you know, essential, uh, essential nature, so to speak. Now, why is this important? Well, it kind of portrays him as, you know, he's not a malevolent God, a capricious God, a God that's just, you know, cackling with joy, you know, whenever we sin, that he is genuinely interested in our well-being, wants to extend his grace to us. And as sinners, Brian, you know, that probably is the most important aspect, uh, arguably, of, of his nature. Yeah, so much to be just in awe of. You know, you were talking about how he is immutable and omnipresent and omniscient. So he has all power. And yet, as you just said, he loves us. He cares for us. He's given us direction in life. Uh, just just really does fill us with awe. And, you know, so let's let's shift gears now and talk about, well, in what way has God manifested this love that we were just talking about for us? So we were looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let's continue on to verses 9 and 10. It says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So when we talk about this great love, Jeff, it's hard to think of any greater love than as sinful mankind who have strayed from this image of God in which he created us, has given us a way to be brought back into a relationship with him through his son. Yeah, very, very comforting. And, and as I've sometimes said before, and I can't remember if I've said it in the podcast, to me, that's probably one of the most mind-boggling things that an a, a, a entity, if you will, that has the ability to create stars, galaxies, the entire universe that it you know spans you know countless space and time bothers to even think about us on this you know tiny little speck of dust you know out in the vast cosmos. Uh, th again, that just kind of boggles my mind. And not only you know is aware of us, but actually cares about us. That, that's just uh, amazing. Yeah, and it's it's just so wonderful when we look at 
what we call the Godhead, of course, God. And then we were just talking about him sending Jesus to die, but then also the Holy Spirit. So, you know, he has given us clear direction for our lives through his word as revealed by the Holy Spirit. So these were not men that were just writing, hey, here's what I think's great. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So once again, just another example of how God has manifested for uh, his love towards us. Another element of that, God has provided for mankind. So not just those who are faithful. God loves all of mankind. And Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 tells us, He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God blesses all of mankind. As we touched on just a moment ago, he also provides us guidance. And, you know, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 says, well, we are really not capable of providing guidance to ourselves. In fact, all we have to do is kind of look at the world around us, and that tells us what happens when man relies on himself. So Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And so, Jeff, would you also read for us 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it also talks about this guidance God provides for us? Sure. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it, as far as what, that, what the gospel is good for, right? Yes, most certainly does. You know, God has also given each one of us unique abilities and talents and encourage our listeners to write down Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, where it talks about the parable of the talents. And interestingly enough, the talents being referred there is, is, is referred to there is really money, but it's talking about physical talent as well, right? So it's kind of a multifaceted thing. And so when you look in that section, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, one thing you'll notice in verse 15, it says, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. So God knows each one of us. He knows what we're capable of. He has blessed each one of us with unique talents. Uh, maybe you're more inclined to play instruments. Maybe you're really good at financial sort of things, or maybe you are you have a great engineering mind, whatever it might be, God has blessed you with different abilities. And if you go on and look in verse 19 of that section, what you'll learn is that God's going to assess how well we did with the abilities he gave us. So verse 19 says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So that kind of goes along with passages like Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, where it says, so then each of us, shall give an account of himself to God. So ultimately, for us, this will occur on the judgment day, where we're all going to stand before God in judgment. And one of the things that we'll give account of is how do we use those talents and abilities that God gave us? So, you know, verse 29 in that section, just one more verse, and then I'll encourage our listeners just to read that whole section. Um, For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So we see this element of accountability. Moving on, God also gives us freedom of choice. So we were reading that psalm earlier. It talks about if we will listen to him. So free moral agency is often what we call this. 
Joshua made a statement to the Israelites where he said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. That's really a, a mandate or a question or a choice, I guess I should say, that all of us have, that same choice. So God gives man choice between life and death. So another passage uh, I'd like to encourage our listeners to write down and read is in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. We're in there, you'll see a statement where God says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So God leaves it up to us. It's not chosen for us. We're not predestined as some might choose to do certain things. No, it's purely up to us. And so when we look at the plan of salvation, and we certainly have a lot of information on our website, we've recorded previous podcasts about the plan of salvation. But just to look at a couple of elements of that, if, for instance, if you look in John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, he who believes. So it's a choice. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Choice. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If says it's conditional, right? If says it's a choice. And then Revelation 2.10, Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So that's up to us. Do we want to be faithful? Do we want to live as God would have us to live? So what's another way that God has manifested his love for us? Well, by strengthening and encouraging us. So we see, for instance, uh, Jeff, if you could uh, read Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, we see a, a good thought along this line in that passage. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wonderful promise that is. And, and we might ask ourselves, well, how does God exactly do that? Well, there are many ways. Let's just talk about a couple briefly. One is through his word, kind of like we've been saying. Second Peter 1.3 tells us that God has given, it, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has also given us our own brethren, so those of what we might call like precious faith, members of maybe the same church that we're members of, or Christians just globally. We can all encourage each other. And when we think about you know coming together on the first day of the week to remember the Lord's death, to worship our great God, another benefit is that we can encourage one another. So one passage that talks about this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, when we assemble, we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So we're encouraging and uplifting one another. That's another way that God has set up to strengthen and encourage us. And then finally, through prayer, right? First Peter chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. So just a few examples. There are certainly many more. One final thought here, Jeff, and then I'll turn it back over to you, and that is, you know, another way that God manifested his love for us is by being full of compassion and mercy. So Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Uh, verse 9 of that same chapter, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. And then finally, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, even after we've been baptized, we know that we could sin again. In fact, we most likely will sin again. But God has still given us a means to restore that relationship. So 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. So Jeff, certainly these are just a few, right? I'm sure our listeners can think about even more ways that God manifests his love for us each and every day. Um, Exactly. So, I mean, so far, I mean, I don't know how many verses we've covered, but a a lot. You know, we've, we've, we've talked about God's, you know, basic nature that, you know, all powerful, all knowing, uh, and at least from our perspective, cares about us, you know, loves us, manifested that love, you know, for us, to us, you know, in a number of different ways, full of compassion and mercy, as you just got through saying. And yet now we're going to kind of transition to yet another aspect of knowing God. And that is realizing that God is just. Now that that brings yet another dimension that not only is he loving and merciful, but he's also a God of uh, justice. Um, at least according to one dictionary uh, definition that I found, um, you know, just, you know, defined as, you know, based on or, be, or behaving according to what is morally right and fair, righteous, doing what is merited. And, you know, no different than what we might expect from our own justice system, you know, when it comes to, quote unquote, justly punishing crime and, and evildoers. You know, we certainly wouldn't want them to get off scot-free. We certainly want them, would not want them to get like a slap on the back of the hand, you know. And at the same time, we wouldn't want, you know, cruel and unusual punishment. You know, we innately kind of expect this sense of justice, you know, coming out of, you know, our own you know, human uh, justice system. Well, the same is true with God. For instance, uh, in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, we're told about the righteous judgment of God. And Brian, if you want to, go ahead and pick up uh, beginning with verses uh, 6 and run through verse 11. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, which means everyone. Verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Right. So, you know, from this passage and others, you know, we see that not only is God a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, etc., but he's also a God of justice and is holding and will hold people accountable for their actions, for their you know, belief in him, hold people accountable for their obedience to, at least within this passage, the truth. Uh, hold them accountable when they choose to obey the truth, hold them accountable when they choose to not obey the truth, but obey un righteousness. So there's a very um, contrast, a very big uh, contrast here uh, in God and being just. And I know, Brian, as you as you teed up the podcast at the beginning, you know, you indicated that, you know, some people perceive that, you know, God is all loving, all forgiving, would never, quote unquote, send anybody to hell, you know, wants everyone to be saved and ultimately will save everyone. Well, with verses like we've just got through reading here in Romans chapter two, that's a skewed perception of God. That's an in, that's an inaccurate uh, perception uh, of God from the scriptures. 
in fact, we can kind of see some of that uh, justice, if you will, you know, back in the Old Testament. Um, certainly you see that in, you know, God's dealing with Adam and Eve. We see that in his dealings with the ancient uh, world of Noah's day, you know, Genesis chapter 6, chapter 7, etc. Uh, we certainly see that with the Israelites. Uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 18 is a good place for our listeners to write down, verses 1 through 10, where uh, God, you know, repeatedly you know, tried to work with the Israelites, told them what was right and wrong. And when they did what was right, rewarded them. When they did what was wrong, tried to punish them, uh, would often point out their sin, pronounce judgment against them, urge them to repent, repeatedly send multiple prophets time after time after time. Uh, and that, you know, when they did uh, eventually repent, you know, he would not carry out, you know, judgment pronounced against them, uh, that he was indeed just. But that if they, you know, persisted in rebellious behavior, uh, that indeed, you know, some of the pronounced judgment against them would indeed, you know, come to pass, just like he said, like I said early on, he says what he means, means what he says. Um, yes, he does love us, but he's also somewhat of a no-nonsense, if, if I could use that kind of a slang term, uh, kind of uh, uh, entity. Uh, he certainly does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. We see that from Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, where it says, Do I have any pleasure at all in the, that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? And so one of the important aspects, Brian, of, of this particular section where we talk about God being just, uh, a couple different aspects of why it's important. You know, number one is justice ultimately will be served on both the righteous and the wicked. You know, even though the wicked in this life may get away with a lot of things, and even though the righteous may be persecuted, that ultimately, in the end, Justice will be served. You know, if not in this life, then certainly in the judgment day and you know, eternal life to come. Uh, as we've already mentioned, uh, God is not the all-forgiving uh, entity who would just turn a blind eye to sin. Because if he did, he wouldn't be just. He might be, quote-unquote, merciful, but he would not be just. And the scriptures do indicate that he is also a God of justice. And more personally, Brian, what this says is God, you know, the supreme being, creator of the entire universe, is, is not only knowledgeable about us, again, on this little, you know, speck of dirt, but that he will ultimately hold us accountable and will ultimately judge us according to what we have done and even what we've thought uh, in our lives. So that's you know, very, very important for us. Yeah, and you know, that might be terrifying to some, but really to me it's a source of comfort because kind of like you said early on, much like the court systems and the countries where all of us live, uh, we expect justice. We want to have justice when we bring a matter before the court. Well, shouldn't that be even more important when it comes to eternity? We, we want a just God uh, and not one that would ignore sin. So I, I find that to be very comforting. You know, another element that we see uh, about God that the Bible teaches us is that he will test man's faith. And we see this in a couple of areas. One is with Abraham. Uh, our listeners might know that Abraham was called by God to leave his country. 
Abraham didn't question God. He left. He went and did exactly what God wanted him to do. God also promised Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so when God then told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, you know, it might be easy for us to think, well, I wonder why Abraham didn't ask God, like, why would you have me sacrifice my son if through him, ultimately all the nations of the earth would be blessed? Well, it's because Abraham had faith. God knew this, but God still tested him. God wanted him to prove his faith. And so over in Genesis chapter 22, our listeners will, if you'll read verses 1 and 2, uh, you'll see uh, in that chapter about, once again, God asking him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And then if you go over to the New Testament and look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, what you'll see is that God tested Abraham. Uh, Hebrews 11, let's just read this one real quick, uh, verses 17 through 19. Uh, here it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Verse 18, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 19 tells us, concluding, this is Abraham, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham passed that test. And the New King James uses the word tested. King James uses the, the term tried. But, it, but the Greek word here means to examine or to prove. So God was examining Abraham to see if he would follow his commands. Translate that to us today. God also tests us. How will we respond? Will we pass that test when we're tried or, or, and so forth? Proverbs chapter 17, verse th uh, 3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Psalm 66, verse 10, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. And so much like precious metals that are tested by fire to get rid of all the impurities and to see how they'll hold up, if you will, well, spiritually, it's the same way. And so whether it's God testing us specifically or we're just being tested by the trials in this life, make no mistake, all of us are tested. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, if you want to make a note of that, also James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, talk about this very thing. And we won't take, to take time to read those, but what you'll notice as you do read those is that ultimately these trials and tribulations and difficulties all of us will go through inevitably or ultimately proves our faith in God. Are we going to be faithful in hard times? Or are we going to blame God? Or are we going to fall away? What are we going to do, right? And if we can endure these difficulties, well, those passages talk about how it produces patience. So in other words, it yields a positive result. Much like steel is tempered through this fire, it's the same for us spiritually. It strengthens us, we're better able to endure these in the future. So in, in essence, it really helps us. And that's why we can count it all joy. You'll notice when you read those, it says, count it all joy when you suffer. And you're first thinking, well, how, do, how does that work? Well, as we just said, because it yields positive results. Yeah, good point. And I think what one of the uh, things that I might add just a little bit to it is, you know, earlier we made the point that, you know, God is not a malevolent God. You know, God is not a gleeful God when we 
you know, stumble or, or, or you know, do what's wrong or, or like sin. the opposite, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, you know, on the one hand, you know, these verses that you mentioned, you know, talk about, you know, God tests us, but it's with a view toward strengthening us. It's a, with a view toward, you know, having us be able to, you know, wanting for us to endure, wanting us to pass the test, you know, unlike Satan, let's say, who, yeah, he'll, he'll tempt us, but with the intent of causing us to stumble and fall, right? Uh, so that's why we can is still kind of count it all joy when we are you know, facing these kinds of things that, you know, it is a test that God wants us to succeed as opposed to, you know, you know, ourselves are kind of being drawn away by, you know, tempta- temptations uh, to do evil uh, and or Satan that would just love us to fail. So, Brian, I guess that kind of takes us to sort of our next section. So we've been talking about all different kinds of verses that describe, you know, God, his nature, uh, as well as how he shows his love for us, uh, as well as how he, you know, expects us, since he's the supreme creator being, uh, expects us to obey. Uh, But there's some other ways to know God and know about him. And probably one of the uh, biggest, if you will, uh, in addition to, you know, reading about his various attributes in the scriptures, is through Jesus. Uh, now, there's uh, several verses here that we'll, you know, start to get into. Uh, but again, we would encourage our listeners to, you know, jot them down. Uh, because, you know, to know Jesus and Jesus' attributes and his behaviors and his examples and what he taught, in many ways, is to know God. Uh, for example, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. You know, we can't see God. People back then, you know, like us today, you know, can't see God. But they could see Jesus and how Jesus, you know, acted and reacted, etc. Uh, according to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, in the first three verses, uh, Jesus was the brightness of his glory, God's glory, and the express image of his person. Uh, Brian, if you want to go over to uh, John chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 11, Jesus has this very interesting interaction with Philip regarding knowing God. Yeah, he sure did. Good, good passage here. So John 14, 6 through 11 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Exactly. So, the, you know, the point is for those who were you know, watching Jesus and what he did, listening to Jesus and what he said, and of course, us indirectly, you know, through the gospel accounts, you know, the more that we can learn about Jesus, the more actually we can learn about God. And, you know, attitudes, emotions, beliefs, etc. 
in fact, uh, in John as well, uh, going back a couple chapters to chapter 12, there's kind of a, a lengthy section, and we won't take the time today to, to read it, uh, but would encourage our listeners to write down John 12, verses 44 through verse 50. Uh, and let me just kind of just very succinctly, you know, hit uh, some of the highlights from that particular passage. Uh, Jesus says, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me, sees him who sent me. Uh, I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And then he goes on to talks about, you know, people needing to uh, hear his words, to believe them, to obey them. And then roughly verse uh, 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a commandment that I, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So what we have are the basically, you know, the words of God, you know, recorded, you know, through Jesus, you know, in the New Testament that we better, basically better pay attention to. If we say we want to know God, well, you better pay attention to what Jesus said. Uh, so not only, uh, you know, listening to, uh, you know, the words of Jesus, for instance, uh, but also, and not only believing the words of Jesus, but also obeying the words of Jesus, you know, by keeping his commandments. And here, Brian, we get into kind of a, a sad situation where people will say, oh, I know God. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, etc. But do they obey him? First uh, John chapter 2. Uh, Brian, if you want to, why don't you read uh, verses 3 through 5? Sure, here it says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Right. And in fact, you know, Jesus himself, you know, said uh, something very challenging, uh, you know, to those of us who might, you know, claim him as Savior, you know, claim him as, uh, you know, our personal Savior, etc. Luke chapter uh, 6, verses 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? which basically means master, and not do what I tell you, which, uh, which I think is very, uh, uh, very challenging uh, for us. Uh, and, you know, personally, you know, you and me, as well as, you know, others who, you know, profess a faith in Jesus, uh, that perhaps, you know, my, you know, it's what we say, but is it really manifested in our lives by what we do and how we conduct ourselves uh, on, a ba- on a daily basis? Any thoughts, Brian, in this section before we uh, tee up some questions to be answered? Yeah, just one final thought. As we touched on earlier, we we know that we've gone through a lot and given our listeners a lot of passages. Please take the time to take a look at those a little bit closer. And, you know, I feel like, Jeff, with everything that we've talked about, it makes it pretty clear that we serve a great and awesome God. And, you know, just even as we go outside and we look at the beauty of his creation, uh, just all the wonderful things that God has blessed us with on this earth and certainly through his word, 
uh, it just really, it's so humbling. And, and we should all just be so very grateful that we serve a great and wonderful God. Exactly. All right. So that kind of takes us to sort of like the, the last part of our podcast for today, where we often like to bring uh, to our audience questions that have been submitted to our website uh, and how we've answered them. Uh, Brian, I think the first one is for you. It was submitted by a person by the name of Reeves. And he said or asks, what book in the Bible talks about God will not destroy the world with water, but fire? Yeah, this uh, scripture that Reeves is referring to can be found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, where it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So a wonderful section of scripture here to teach us, number one, you know, there are some that believe that, oh, Jesus will come and reign on this earth. No, this says when the day of judgment comes, that the earth and everything, and the heavens on top of that, everything will be burned up uh, because it's done, right? It's time for judgment. And so when we think about, you know, this day of judgment being referenced here by Peter, the key question that we just read that's asked in here is what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, it's so vital that each of us be found righteous when Jesus returns because when he does return, as we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, he's going to return with his angels, it says in that section of Scripture, in flaming fire, basically punishing those, it says, that do not obey God. So kind of going along, Jeff, with what you said just a little while ago, uh, we can call him Lord, Lord, and we can claim to love the Lord, but if we're not keeping his commandments, make no mistake about it. There will be punishment. The good news is there will also be reward because as we also talked about, God is just. And so for those of you know, those who are found faithful, that will mean eternal life and hearing from the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right. And it's kind of interesting, I thought, since you mentioned Second uh, Peter chapter three, uh, because this promise of the destruction of you know the world is not the first time it's happened. In fact, early in chapter three, uh, and coming back to you know, God says what He means and means what He says. Uh, you know, some people today, and that would, you know, tend to believe in in evolution, for instance. Second uh, Peter three, starting with verse four, they will say, "Where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation." For they deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Again, referring to the global flood, which a lot of people deny. Nonetheless, it's there in the Genesis account. Uh, again, somewhat of a no, yes, God loves us, but he's also somewhat of a no-nonsense uh, kind of God. Uh, that this promise of a future thing is is backed up by you know previous recorded actions of uh, him you know 
you know, punishing the, the wicked world of the time uh, of Noah's day. Brian, any other thoughts before we go to the next question? It's a very good point. I appreciate you bringing that out because he does, in fact, keep his promises. Okay, the, the next question we have for you, Jeff, comes from Rachel. And she asks, if God is perfect, then how can he be jealous? Because being jealous is a sin. Interesting. Yeah, which is a good question because, you know, when we start looking across different verses, uh, yes, indeed, there are some places where, you know, jealousy is, you know, portrayed in a uh, sinful sense. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 5, etc. You know, being moved with jealousy, envy, you know, indignation, uh, etc. Uh, is very often portrayed, indeed, as... Uh, a sin, bad. Uh, and it's undeniable that in some verses, God is part of his uh, nature, part of his emotion, is to have jealousy. Uh, and so, as Rachel says, well, now, wait a minute. There are some places that say, you know, God is sinless and perfect, and other places that say jealousy is a sin, and yet God is jealous. So, you know, apparent potential alleged contradiction here. You know, something's got to give. Well, I think what may be useful is to understand that, you know, the, the word uh, typically translated as jealousy uh, is somewhat neutral. It, you know, it means having zeal or, or to seek something or desire something, you know, eagerly. Uh, certainly it's used in a bad sense, but in some places it's used in a good sense. Uh, for instance, in Numbers chapter 25, verse 11, you know, within the context uh, you know, Balaam has, you know, come and gone uh, on the scene. You know, he was asked to curse the Israelites. God said no, etc. Uh, and basically he gave uh, counsel and advice to, you know, Balak, the ruler, to have his, you know, beautiful women go out and start seducing the Israelites and enticing them to serve the false idolatrous gods of the Midianites. And basically that's what they started doing. Uh, and we see, you know, starting in uh, Numbers chapter uh, 25, where it, th that strategy started to work. Uh, that, you know, the women of Moab came out, started to, you know, commit, you know, sexual acts. Uh, that they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their, to their gods. And you can see in that context that, you know, God was, you know, righteously jealous over these people abandoning him and going off to serve false gods. Uh, likewise, Romans chapter 11, uh, roughly verses 11 through 14. You know, God is trying to, you know, motivate the Jews to accept their Messiah, you know, by offering salvation to the Gentiles. Move them to jealousy, again in a good sense. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, especially if you want to compare that with Romans chapter 10, verse 2, where Paul, you know, again, is going to use this term, but it's in a good sense. You know, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, writes, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so, in a lot of these cases, the language is often based on the very legitimate feeling of a husband or a wife, you know, having the exclusive right to his 
wife or a wife to her husband, you know, exclusive right to his spouse. And in some ways, you know, figuratively speaking, God is portrayed as, as having uh, married Israel, so to speak, and was claiming, therefore, you know, exclusive rights, exclusive devotion, etc. And that disloyalty on the part of Israel, and arguably on our part as well, is presented as spiritual adultery, as provoking God to jealousy. Uh, several passages here where we see that occurring. I'll read them very. Uh, I'll give you the passages, so our people can, uh, listeners can write them down. But I won't actually you know, read them. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verses sixteen and verse twenty-one. Uh, First Kings fourteen, verse twenty-two. Psalms seventy-eight, verse fifty-eight. And I'm, if I'm saying these too fast, feel free to you know pause the podcast, rewind it, and replay it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3, uh, 16, verse 38 and 42, uh, chapter 23, verse 25, chapter 36, verse 5, chapter 38, verse 19. Uh, just like it was with uh, God and the nation of Israel, so it is with faithful Christians today. I mean, the same kind of marriage analogy we see in the New Testament with faithful Christians as a whole being considered the quote-unquote bride of Christ as you know, Paul alluded to uh, in the Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. So, you know, the quick answer is, yes, God is perfect. And yes, indeed, he can be jealous with a godly jealousy. You know, when we start, you know, diverting our attention and our time and our effort and our money and our devotion to other things, other gods, you know, whether idols or whether things we want to do, uh, covetous materialism or just, you know, doing what, again, what we want to do. Brian, any thoughts before we move on? Yeah, I appreciate all that. That was great. And, you know, it does remind us that not only is it important to understand words and their meanings, but also that, you know, of all the emotions that God gave us when he created us, uh, there can be good and bad elements in, in most of those emotions. And so it's just important to understand that and uh, helps us certainly if we do throughout our life. Okay. So the next question comes from Ray. And he writes in saying, we know God is good. The scriptures tell us that. We know that he is love. Scriptures tell us that. But we also know that his wrath is a very tangible part of his character. Would it be fair to assume that God is as capable of, quote unquote, brutality as he is of tenderness and sensitivity? To expand on this thought, is there a dark side to this being? that only his enemies are made aware of? Yeah, fair question. And, you know, this also uh, can come out of maybe a misunderstanding of God. And so hopefully our listeners, as we've gone through this podcast, know that, you know, the, the nature of God is love. And we looked at some passages, I'll just reference one here, you know, First John chapter 4, 7 through 11, where it says this, you know, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God, has sent, God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So, you know, we are also taught that God is just, as Jeff covered in detail, and therefore he will justly reward those who are faithful and justly punish those who are unfaithful. And as you touched on, Jeff, in that section, 
you know, Romans 2 verse 5 talks about the righteousness of God, right? And that, you know, verses 6 through 11 goes into, and we won't take the time to go through all this, but just to highlight a couple things, you know, it talks about in verse 5, that righteous judgment of God, verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. And so, you know, for those that obey the truth, there will be blessings, there ultimately will be eternal life, but those who are wicked, it talks about things like indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Why? Verse 11, because there's no partiality with God. So he is just justly judging the world. And so one final thought here and that, you know, it's so important to not confuse this justice of God with quote unquote brutality or, you know, once again, quote unquote dark side, uh, as that is really a no part, way part of his nature. You know, God loves mankind as we've been talking about, as we just read, that's why he sent his son to die on the cross. Uh, also in 2 Peter 3, 9, we're told, you know, God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this just, you know, further illustrates his nature, his great love for mankind, and that ultimately he wants us all to come to repentance, to be baptized for the remission of our sins, and ultimately to live faithfully to him. Right, Brian. And I think this, again, kind of illustrates just the, the challenge, again, that we as you know limited humans have as we see different passages, different aspects of God, and kind of look at them from our own limited perspective. You know, we need to be very careful, you know, not to, you know, make assumptions or draw the wrong conclusions or even worse, say, well, if I was God, I would, and, you know, start filling in the blank uh, that we need to you know, recognize the scriptures as accurately portraying the nature of God to at least some level that we can understand, uh, that we better, you know, understand it with clarity. But there's also some aspects that, you know, aren't revealed or that might be a little bit murkier. But at, at no time should we start saying, well, you know, God is malevolent or God is evil or God just takes great glee in, quote unquote, sending people to hell. Um, because, you know, you start getting that kind of a mindset and you'll find yourself not really knowing the true nature of God and, and likely falling away from any sort of you know, reverential uh, fear of, and respect of God, which I think is our next question. Yeah, let's look at one more question. So just to remind our listeners, you know, BibleQuestions.org, if you have a question, uh, there's a good chance it's been submitted and asked, so you can kind of go through the archives and take a look at that. Or you can click on the Ask a Question button like uh, those who we are talking about now did. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. And, and so this was a question that was submitted to our site by Brianna. And uh, she asked, the concept of the fear of the Lord is an important concept in the Hebrew wisdom literature. Does this concept have any relevance to life in the modern Western society? And, and a good question. And I think where we have to kind of at least start off is observe that this quote-unquote fear of the Lord is an important concept. You know, not only in the Old Testament, in God's dealing with the Israelites and other ancient people, but in the New Testament as well, in terms of God's dealing with people in the first century, you know, or, or what Jesus said or taught or did, and, and for us, likewise, us moderns uh, as well. Uh, I've got a you know large number of verses here. Again, I'll just kind of list them very briefly for our uh, listeners can uh, write them down. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Acts 5, verse 5 and verse 11. Acts 9, verse 31. 
Romans 11, verses 20 through 22, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Ephesians 5, verse 21, Philippians 2, verse 12, Hebrews 10, verses 25 through roughly 31, Hebrews 12, verse 28, 1 Peter 2, 17, and Revelation 14, verse 7. Now, as we kind of have already you know, mentioned several times, you know, this fear should be in some ways more of a healthy respect, honor, you know, for this, uh, you know, supreme being, etc., you know, not quote unquote being scared, so to speak, unless we are doing what's, you know, what's evil, what's wrong. You know, does this concept have relevance? Well, Brian, sadly, I'd have to say that the concept has quite a bit of less relevance today. Does it have relevance? Well, less. You know, society is drifting further and further away from what we might call Judeo-Christian principles. I mean, I mean, just think in terms of the increasing acceptance of what God condemns, you know, on a whole wide variety of fronts, like abortion, homosexuality, drug abuse, fornication, adultery, divorce, profanity, pornography. I mean, I could I go on and on. So does this concept, does the concept of fear of the Lord have relevance? Well, sadly, not. <laughs> Should it? Absolutely. In fact, as we mentioned before, the God of the quote-unquote Hebrew wisdom literature is the same God of the New Testament, is the same true and living God today, is the same God before whom, as we've mentioned, that all will appear on the judgment day. So from all the kind of scriptures we've, we've read and at least listed, you know, from God's inspired word, we see that everyone should have this kind of reverential fear and respect and honor for God, his power, his authority, his nature, and that from that we all should have a you know healthy fear of displeasing him and receiving eternal punishment if we are disobedient to him, uh, as well as, as we've tried to balance, you know, that, that healthy expectation, that hope of heaven uh, if we're doing what he wants us to do. I mean, certainly there, there, there's a good use of fear. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, uh, talks about the, the purpose of man uh, as the, the Holy Spirit through Solomon you know, concludes the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man. Uh, and likewise, Brian, if you would kind of want to wrap up uh, this, uh, if you would go read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Yeah, here it says, Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Kind of, kind of summarizes it all, doesn't it, Brian? Sure does, exactly. Yeah, which kind of brings us to the end of the podcast. Any uh, closing comments, Brian, before I appoint people to uh, topics at our website? Uh, no, uh, appreciate everybody hanging in here with us. We know that there was a lot of information, but hopefully it helps you to, to get to know God a little bit better. 
And uh, once again, give all praise and glory to God. And certainly for even a, a more additional information, which I would encourage our listeners to investigate on their own, uh, at our website, biblequestions.org, if you go to the topics menu item, uh, let me offer five of them for you, since we've covered a pretty broad front uh, in today's podcast. Uh, and I'll kind of give them to you, you know, somewhat alphabetically. C for creation, G for grace, J for judgment, L for love, and finally, which has kind of been the core of our podcast today, N for nature of God. You know, through those uh, five areas, you'll find a, a large number of articles with even more information, more scriptures, and more encouragement to pay the, you know, the proper you know, reverential respect to the Supreme Being uh, and to know Him and to obey Him. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.